Well, Ephesians chapter 6. Today we're looking at verse 4. Let me just read verses 1 to 4. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. For those of you just joining us, if this is your first Sunday, we're glad you're here. Uh, We are near the end of a sermon series in Ephesians. We've been studying through Ephesians for about the last year, and we finally hit chapter 6, and uh, we're here on verse 4. We're looking at this teaching basically on parenting. It's about parenting, and verse 4 is talking about instructions to parents. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So there's two commands here. There's a negative and a positive. The negative is, don't exasperate. The positive is, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Uh, Last week, we looked at the negative. This week, we're going to look at the positive. And again, this is why it's taking us so long to get through Ephesians, because we do two weeks on one verse. Uh, But last week was the negative. Do you remember? Don't exasperate your children. Don't embitter your children. And we looked at five ways in which parents can embitter children, or sometimes embitter children. One was uh, excessive harshness. Two, excessive favoritism. Three, excessive demanding expectations. Four was lack of discipline, and five was lack of attention, if you if you're here last week. Uh, but this week I'm going to look at the positive command, which is, fathers, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That first word, training, can also be translated discipline. The training or discipline. And then instruction, a warning, it's a teaching. And notice it's the training and instruction of the Lord. In other words, what I think that means is it's within the sphere of the Lordship of Christ. It's within life in Jesus. Or we might put it this way, bring them up in Christian training and instruction. In other words, teach them the Bible. Teach them Christian doctrine. Teach them Christian piety. And even more than that, um, teach your children how to do life from within a Christian worldview and framework. It's about handling life. It's about dealing with conflict and relationships and the ups and downs of life and sickness and health, all the different things we face in life. How do you face that as a Christian? So it's Christian instruction about life, not just Bible stories, but also living and and relating in this world as a Christian. Now, it would be tempting at this point to launch right into a discussion of how parents do that and to get into the practical stuff, and I'm going to do that in a little bit. But before we get there, I just want to camp on one important word in this verse that we might quickly read over and not pay attention to, and it's the first word in verse 4. Fathers, bring your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In other words, this command is for mom and dad. It says fathers here, but it includes mothers. It actually includes grandparents. The reason I think fathers are mentioned explicitly is because the father, in biblical thought, is the head of the household. But it includes mothers as well. It includes grandparents. Parents, bring your children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's our job as parents to provide Christian education for our children. Not the church's job. It's not the Christian school's job. It's not the job of VeggieTales or Sunday School or Children's Church 
or CCD, or youth group, or vacation Bible school. It's fathers, mothers. You bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. In other words, in biblical thought, the home, not any other institution, the home is the epicenter of Christian education. That's where it takes place first and foremost. In fact, if you were a, a, a Jewish child growing up in the time of Christ when the New Testament was written, the home would have been the center of your religious education. Now, in, in the time of Christ, did Jewish children have religious schooling they went to? Yes, they did. Uh, by the time of Christ, there were actually primary schools and secondary schools that were established, typically in connection with the local synagogue. And so when a child was about six, it's kind of like when we send our kids to kindergarten, first grade, that's about when they sent their kids to primary school at the synagogue. But the point is, by the time they had reached the age of six and were sent off to those synagogue schools, they had already, with their family, begun to read the Torah in Hebrew. They had already begun reciting and memorizing sections of Torah in Hebrew. By the time they were six and were sent off to those primary schools, they had already been immersed in family prayer and family worship and family songs. They had already been immersed in Sabbath observance every Saturday. And they'd already been part of the festivals, uh, Passover and uh, Pentecost and Yom Kippur, so by the time they went off to school, they'd just been grounded already in the religious instruction that takes place in the home, not in some other institution outside of it. So even in that culture, the home was the epicenter of religious instruction for children. And of course they did it that way because, well, that's what the Old Testament teaches. You look at the Old Testament, and again the pattern is that the home is the place where religious instruction occurs. In fact, take out your sermon notes for a minute. This little insert in your bulletin says Ephesians 6.4 at the top. And what I've listed on the front here, goes, I think it goes on, on the next page, are just some verses, some for instances from the Old Testament, where God specifically appoints parents as, in a sense, his vicars to teach children the way of the Lord. Look at the first quote, Genesis 18:19. God says, For I have chosen him, referring to Abraham, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. In other words, God wants each generation to learn how to follow the Lord. And so what does he do to, to set up that process? Does he set up a school? Does he commission a training program? No, he sets up a, a man, Abraham. He says, Your job, Abraham is to teach your children how to follow me. And that's how it's going to be passed on from parent to child, parent to child. Or look at the next one, Exodus chapter 12, uh, 26 to 27. This is the Passover story in Exodus. You know that story. It says, when your children say, what do you mean by the service? In other words, by the Passover Seder. You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt, when he struck down the Egyptians, but spared our houses. Now, I don't know, does anyone here um, maybe have a Jewish background or been a part of a Jewish Passover Seder or seen one reenacted? It's a very wonderful thing if you can ever be a part of that, if you can maybe get invited to one, to just observe how it's done. And what you'll notice is that the Jewish Passover Seder is really a teaching time. 
That's really what it is. I mean, when, when they get together around the table, I don't know if you know the Seder, but all the different foods on the plate represent different things symbolically about the story of the Exodus. You know, this piece of food represents the mortar, and this piece of food represents the bitter tears that the, the Jews wept while they were in bondage. And, and so the whole thing is a teaching. In fact, as part of the liturgy of the service, there's this, uh, this Socratic kind of question and answer that goes back between parents and children. And the parents read a section and ask a question, and the children answer it, and the children ask a question. So that the whole Passover Seder is trying to teach children about the Exodus. So in other words, the defining moment in Jewish history for Jewish identity, which is the Passover from Egypt, the Exodus from Egypt, that defining moment, how is it transmitted? The answer, it's in the home. From the home is where this, this takes place. Or the book of Proverbs. What's the book of Proverbs except instructions from parents to children? The book of Proverbs is the first uh, curriculum for children's ministry and youth ministry in the Bible. It was intended to be given from parents to children to teach them the way of the Lord. I want to look at just one other Old Testament passage uh, as, I, as I seek to drive this point home. It's in the book of Deuteronomy, and I'd like you to actually turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's the fifth book of the Bible. In the, in the Pew Bible, it's on page 178, 178, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy 6, page 178. Look at verse 5. Actually, verse 4. Verses 4 and 5. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. Does anyone know what this verse is called? It's got a special name. Someone said it? Shema. It's called the Shema. In fact, and this is, I mean, every Jewish child worth his salt knows the Shema. Shema Yisrael means listen, O Israel. Shema Yisrael. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Echad. Our God is one. The Ahavta et Eloheka. The Kol Lavabaka with all your heart. The Kol Nafshaka with all your soul. The Kol uh, Meodaka, with all your strength. Love him with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And those, that Hebrew creed would have just rolled off the tongues of children because it was such a basic creed uh, to Judaism. In fact, I would even say it's kind of the most core confession of Judaism. If you think about the core confessions of different religions, what's the core confession of Islam? You know that? There is no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. What, what's the core confession of Christianity? Three words. What's the most basic Christian confession? Anyone? Three words. Jesus is Lord. The basic Christian confession. Jesus is Lord. If anyone confess with his mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in his heart that God raised him from the dead, he will be saved. I would say that the Shema, if we could sort of narrow down one confession that's like the core of Judaism, is, is the Shema. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then you get this command, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And uh, do you remember Jesus when he taught on this? Someone came to him and said, you know, Master, what is the greatest commandment? What did Jesus say? He quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart 
and with all your soul and with all your strength. In other words, that one command summarizes basically the entire instruction in the Old Testament on how we're supposed to relate to God. So, what am I saying here? I'm saying that right here in these two verses, the most core creed of Judaism and the most basic fundamental command of the Old Testament, and what does it say in the very next verses? Verse 6, these commands that I give you today are to be upon your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, all the time. Just keep working this in all the time. Every aspect of your life. You impress them on your children. The most fundamental uh, teaching of Judaism in a sense and it's our job as parents to impress that into the wet cement of our children's hearts. It's our job. Parents, you do it. We are entrusted with the most core basic teachings of God's Word. It's our job to give those to our children. Verse 8, tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Maybe some of you have seen pictures of Orthodox Jews. They have the phylacteries. It, has a little bo- it literally is a little box with a little piece of Scripture in it. And they taken this very literally. It's literally a little box with the scriptures on their hands. Or verse uh, 9, write them on the doorposts of your houses and on your gates. Maybe you've been to a, a, an Orthodox Jewish home and you've seen the little tube on the door. Seen that thing? What's that called? Anyone know? Just shout it out. And if you're wrong, I'll laugh at you. What, what, what's that called? Starts with an M. Masuza. That's right. It's the Masuza. Jews come in, they touch it, kiss it. Show respect to mezuzah. What's in the tube? It's Old Testament scripture. In fact, this scripture is in the tube, and then another one from Deuteronomy 11 is inside that tube. In other words, it's, it's you're going into the home, and as you're walking into your home, there's God's law. The home is the epicenter of Christian instruction, not any other institution. That's the way God designed it. And so when we come to the New Testament, and we hear the Apostle Paul saying, fathers, and by implication mothers and grandparents, Train your children up and bring your children up in the training instruction of the Lord. He's not saying anything new. He's just carrying over the Old Testament tradition and saying, yeah, this is where it's supposed to take place in the home. So why am I, why am I beating this drum? Why, why am I hammering on this point? Well, my concern is that today, our tendency in our culture is to look to other programs and places to instruct our children. Uh, we, we tend to outsource religious education. You all know what outsourcing is. I mean, some of you have lost jobs because of outsourcing. Uh, outsourcing, of course, is when a business uh, deems that it's uh, cheaper to have somebody else perform a core business function rather than doing it themselves. So a company wants to get into cell phones, and they find out, well, you know, it's actually cheaper if we just hire someone else to build the cell phones for us rather than doing it ourselves, because that would cost a lot, and you have to have a plant, and you have to pay for the plant, and you have to pay for the workers, and you have to somehow store the inventory, and they do the numbers, and they go, oh boy, it's a lot cheaper just to outsource it. And so companies outsource manufacturing, they outsource research and development, they outsource call centers and technical support, and, and so on and so forth. It kind of comes down into suburbia. You know, I don't want to shovel my driveway. I'm going to outsource. <laughs> pay someone to plow it. And uh, I don't want to do my lawn, I'm going to outsource. And uh, I don't want to go grocery shopping, I'm going to use this system and I'm going to outsource it and they're going to bring my groceries to my house. Now, I'm not making any commentary here about economics. I mean, the the point of that is, is by way of analogy, that if we take the model of outsourcing 
which, you know, I'm not saying whether that's good or bad or indifferent. I'm not an economist. But I'm saying that if we take that model of outsourcing and we bring that into parenting, we've got problems. It's going against the biblical pattern. When I start to send my kids to sports camp in place of playing catch with them, that's a problem. When I send my kids to outdoor camp in place of family walks and family camping trips, this is a problem. Not that sports camps are wrong, but if I'm just outsourcing my parenting, if all I become is a chauffeur with a checkbook, and that's my job as a parent is to drive around and pay for things, and it's other people's job to raise my children, that's a problem. Now, when you come to the issue of religious education, what happens? People say, well, you've got to go to church. And so people walk into the church with their kids, and they look around, and one of the first questions on their mind is, what does this church have for my kids? What's here? We come into the church like it's the Y, you know? <laughs> right? You go to the Y, you say, do you have any brochures on stuff for my kids? And you get it, and you go, huh, I'm interested in that. And you sort through it, and you decide if this place has programs that are good for your kids and whether or not you want to pay for it. And, and so you outsource. And, and, and then we come to the church with the same consumeristic, selfish, gimme, 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 gimme attitude. Well, what's this church got for my kids? Well, you know, that church down the street's got that. And that's what the questions we're asking. We're not asking the important questions like, what does this church believe? Does it teach the Bible? Is it committed to foreign missions? How can I serve? That's not what we're asking. Those are the questions we should be asking. Instead, we're asking, what's it, what's it got for me? Got a good program for my kid? Oh, I like that program. I don't like that. You know, you should do this. And maybe if you did that, I might come to the church for my kids. It's all backwards. Because the church is not the one who's supposed to educate your kids in Christianity and morals. Even if you're so busy, you've got to outsource everything else for your kids. Please keep the Christian education for yourself. At least do that. Raise your children in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, Please, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm all in favor of children's ministries and youth ministry. Okay, I'm a big fan. I'm personally invested in it. Uh, my wife teaches the first grade Sunday school class here in the church with some other folks, and she does nursery once a month. Uh, I do Wednesday night Kids for Christ, which is our Wednesday night program. I, I'm with this really tame bunch of kindergarten and first grade boys. And, and I started doing that because my daughter started doing KFC, and I, I wanted to be around her and with her and in the same uh, group. So, so I'm personally invested in the children's and youth ministries of the church. In fact, I would even say that as I look at the, the numeric growth of our church and I kind of look down the road and say, where's our next staffing going to need to come in the church? I, well, actually, we need a custodian. But in addition to that, I'd say the other one that we really need that's up at the very top of the list would be more children's ministry. Because right now we have like 200 kids in children's ministry, 150 volunteers, one part-time person. I mean, it's kind of crazy for that one person. So, I mean, I'd even say we need to put more resources into church children's ministry. In fact, I would even say that if you're interested in getting involved in the ministry of the church and you want to make an impact in lives, I would say do children's ministry or youth ministry. Because the cement's still wet. And you go, well, I'm not really into children. It doesn't matter. Just love them, care for them, and you will make an impact because the cement is still wet. Children are not like the jaded cynical people you work with at the office who don't have any time for your Christianity. I mean, kids are open. They'll give you a fair hearing. 
So, you know, do children's ministry if you really want to make an impact. Do youth ministry. Uh, so, okay, so what I'm saying is I'm all in favor of children's ministry of the church. But as a father, I am not looking to the church to provide the primary religious education for my children. The church's job is to support, buttress, reinforce, and echo what I'm teaching them at home. That's the way I see it. The church's job is to say amen to everything I've been preaching to my kids about for six, seven years. So that when they get to church, they find other adults who are, who are maybe cooler than mom and dad. And, uh, and these adults are saying things in maybe different words, but they're saying the same kinds of things that I've been saying. And, and kids can hear it from different angles and process it for themselves. That's the role of the church. It's fathers and mothers, our job, to raise our children not to outsource religious education. So where do we go from here? Uh, I guess is the next question. P perhaps you're, you're sold on this concept like I am. I, I just read the scripture and it seems obvious to me that it's my job as a father, as a parent, to raise my children in the Lord. But, but how do I do that? Um, I, I think a lot of us feel under-equipped. We kind of say, oh, I don't know where to start. I don't have a seminary degree. I don't have a background in ed elementary education. I don't know how to teach my kids. And, and some of us, we, we like the concept. Sounds cool, but how do I even get that direction? I mean, we don't even know. So, so what I'd like to do is maybe just take a turn down practical street here and just think with you very pragmatically about things that we can do as parents to bring our children up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Um, I'd like to suggest four things, just very quickly, just rattle them off here. The first one would be discipline. One thing we can do is discipline our children. Unless uh, your child was born via immaculate conception, uh, your child is a sinner. If I can just break this to you. Original sin is actually very real. Uh, in fact, I would say original sin is the one biblical doctrine that's empirically verifiable. <laughs> look at human history, look at people, and you'll find that every person everywhere has something bent within them that is, is rebellious and sinful. It, it, we're all sinful, and that means that if I'm going to teach my children, I'm going to have to be able to, to discipline them when they start acting like sinners, because I'm a sinner and they are, and I know they're going to, eventually it's going to come out, and when it starts coming out, I've got to be able to correct it and show them the right way. That's what discipline is. In fact, if you look on the page two of the sermon notes, where it says a definition under discipline in that box, what is discipline? This is what I mean by it. It's the loving, consistent enforcement of undesirable consequences for bad behavior in order to teach right behavior and godly character. It's loving. You're not doing it because you're mean. You're doing it because long-term this is good for kids. It's consistent. If I make a rule, I follow through. If I make a threat, I follow through with the threat. The rule's the same. I don't just you know, spasmodically make different rules and consequences depending on my mood. It's, it's consistent. Kids know what to expect. There's an undesirable consequence. I know last week I, I said, you know, it's okay to spank your kids. And some of you were like, maybe are like, <gasps> I can't believe you said that. Well, just so you know, I, I was going a little light. Because if you look at what the Bible says, I was watering it down big time. It, what you'll find in the Bible is a lot of talk about rods. And uh, <laughs> I've listed those scriptures here in case any of you are interested. <clears throat> So yes, you were there when Jeremy went liberal and watered down the text. 
But uh, discipline, discipline's important, and I'm not going to belabor that. If you want to hear me rant and rave about that, you can get last week's sermon on tape. Uh, so how do we bring our children up in the nurture and instruction of the Lord? One, we have to dare to discipline, as one book is uh, entitled. Parents, you can, should, must discipline your children in however way you see fit, but you have to enforce right behavior. If you don't, you are derelict in your duties as a parent. I'm going to put it very plainly. You are derelict in your duties if you don't discipline your kids in some way. That is our job as parents. Second, we need to teach and train our children. The second would be teaching. So there's discipline, there's teaching. And if you look on page three of the sermon notes, I did a bunch of bullet points, methods for teaching children. You guys could probably come up with even more. I just was brainstorming ideas. Bible reading, read the Bible with your kids. You got little kids, get those picture Bibles. There's so many good things out today. You know, read a picture Bible with your kids. And, uh, re- read scriptures. I, I know a guy who every meal sits down with his kids at family dinner time and he reads one proverb and he asks the kids to talk about it and say what it means, you know. And, and the elementary school kids like, mm-hmm, you know, and the, the junior high kids like, this is lame. And, and you know, the, the, the college kids starting to get it. And, but, you know, whatever. The, the point is you just keep at it. And even though they're, they're going to act like, mm, just doesn't matter. Just keep at it. Just keep teaching them the word. Scripture memorization. Kids are sponges. Kids can memorize. Scary. Uh, you know, it, it just start, just wrote. Pick some scripture in the, in the Bible and just read it, repeat it, repeat it, and by rote, kids will they'll have it almost instantly. It's amazing how fast they can memorize things. Um, you know, when my, kid, my son was age three, he'd already memorized several psalms. You can start very early. They just repeat it back, and it doesn't matter. They don't know what it means. They'll know eventually. You know, you'll get there. Uh, evangelism. You be the one to teach your kids that they need the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive their sins. Don't wait for the pastor of the church to do it. You do it. I've had the awesome privilege of, of praying with my daughter to receive Jesus. My wife got to pray with my son. Now, time will tell if those were real. You know, only time tells if conversion is real, but man, that's the best. I'm so glad that it wasn't one of you who got to pray with my kids. I'm so glad it was me. And, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, missions. Uh, put, put a big map up on your wall with the pins with the missionaries. Support a child with one of these world vision things. Somehow get your kids thinking about the fact that it's not about us, it's about God's global plan, which is something we all need reinforcement in. Tithing. Three Folgers cans. Put them on your dresser. Put a label on one called spend. Put a label on another called save. Put another label on another called tithe. When your kids get money, you know, have them put it in the cans and bring them, you know, whatever. Just Teach them about tithing. One of the things about my own tithing is I, I try to remember not to put my tithe in the offering plate until my kids are in the service with me. Whatever service of the three they come to, that's when I put my tithe in the offering plate because I want my kids to see Dad doing it. In fact, I give it to them. I go, put it in. And, you know, just I'm teaching them. Uh, family discussion. And by this I mean, I just mean talk about it all the time. Don't just use sort of structured things, but... When a kid comes home from school and they had a bad day, work the faith into it. Work Christ into it. Uh, pray with your kids. Music. There's about a million little CDs and cassettes with annoying Bible songs for kids on them that, that'll drive you nuts. Buy one, put it in your SUV, in your minivan, and when you drive around every once in a while, just play Bible songs. and you know. But after a while, the kids, it just soaks in. So whatever. There's a lot of things you can do. You don't have to have a seminary degree. And don't go home tomorrow and try to establish this, like, you know, theocracy in your house. 
<laughs> just, just do one thing. Just start off small and, and, and try to just start working in Christian education with your kids. You'll be amazed at what you can do. The third one is uh, discipline, teaching. The third one I'd say is prayer. And I, I, sing, I could have put this under teaching, but I want to single it out because, as we all know, prayer is where the power is. You don't pray, you don't grow. You don't pray, nothing happens of spiritual value. We have to pray. So pray for my kids, pray with my kids. Kids come home from school, they're frustrated that some kid stabbed them in the back. Talk to them, process with them, and then say, hey, let's pray about it. Teach your children that prayer is the normal response to life's tribulations. Teach your children how to pray. Let me just tell you real quickly what uh, Bible time looks like in the Rennie household. It's about 7 o'clock. Kids get their pajamas on, they brush their teeth, and then we all climb on uh, mom and dad's bed. That's where we go. Dad gets out the picture Bible. They're in a picture Bible right now. It's a great picture Bible. I love it. These drawings are awesome. I, I prefer it in some ways, actually, to the real Bible. Just kidding. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I love these pictures, and, and you know, we read the Bible story, and we, then we try to talk about it. We try to get illustrations out of it. I go, what does that mean? And you know, some night, boy, it's clicking. The kids are just like, oh, blah, 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 and, and they're talking about it. Other nights, they're like, I don't know. Whatever. Okay, so then we just keep going, you know, and we, we read that, then we pray together. I say, what can we be thankful to God for today? And our kids come up with some things they want to pray for. Sometimes they're concerned about something, we pray for that. If, if we've come away with a good application from the Bible story, we pray about that. We spend some time praying. And then we do Bible memorization. And we don't always do this. If it's late, we sometimes cut this off. But, but you know, right now we're working on Psalm 139. My kids are memorizing it. It's, it's, it's great. You just read it, and they memorize it. You just repeat it, and they memorize it. One of the things we do is, is we, we like create motions. Because kids, if they do motions, and say, and I just sort of improvise. So like when we learn Psalm 1, it, it goes, Blessed is the man who does not, and the kids go, Walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water who produces his fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Everything he does prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff. Then they, then they spin around. That the wind blows away. <laughs> and <laughs> and we, we have this whole routine, you know, and they, they do, and it's just sort of this fun thing we do and we keep it light. I'm not preaching at them and you just have fun and then, and then we go to bed and, you know, that's it. And, and I'm telling you, my kids, they just are like, Bible story, Bible story. Every once in a while, there's a night we don't have time for Bible story. Sometimes my kids cry. They're like, we don't get Bible story tonight. <laughs> now, I don't know if that's because the Lord's touching their hearts or they just love putting off bed. But uh, <laughs> who knows, whatever. That's between them and the Lord. And then finally, all right, so we need to discipline our children. We need to teach them the word. We need to pray with them. And then finally, wrapping it up here, Oh, this is the most important one. This is the foundation to all the others. We must train our children by being examples of vibrant Christianity. Examples ourselves. You can preach your kids till you're blue in the face, but if you're a different person Saturday night than you are Sunday morning, man, you just undercut everything you've ever preached at your kids, and they will not listen to you. Kids, they see through phoniness. We have to live it. I have to have a vibrant Christian life. My children need to see that this is real. They need to see me processing it, living it out. They need to see me confessing my sins when I fall on my face. They need to come out in the morning and find the Bible open on the kitchen table where mom was reading the night before. 
and then you know, realize that mom's doing stuff when I'm not there. I love the story that's uh, told by Paul Atwater. Some of you know Paul. He's the pastor at North River Community Church in Pembroke down at Exit 12. That's an awesome church. They just built a new building right off the exit. It's awesome. And uh, Paul's such a great guy. I love him and his church. And uh, Paul tells this story about uh, when he was a boy and his father was a very devout Christian man. His father was a man of prayer. He was a man of evangelism. His father was really devoted to foreign missions. In fact, his father had a big missions map, a world map up on the board with all the pins in it of where the missionaries were, and he would pray for missionaries. But anyway, Paul tells the stories. When he was a little kid, he'd get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom or to go to the fridge to get a drink or something. It would be 2, 3 in the morning. He'd be walking through the house. And he'd look over, and his dad would be kneeling, praying. He'd like catch his dad praying. At these late, you know, his dad woke up, couldn't sleep, just went to pray for salvation for people, went to pray for missionaries. What a, and Paul says it's such a huge impact to, to sort of surprise your parents living out their Christianity. And there they are, they're doing it, or be surprised by them. And do we wonder why and today Paul is this pastor who's got this just raging passion for lost souls. You know, it was modeled for him, and God used that modeling to change his life and to make him into the man that he is today. And so more than anything else, if you're going to be a biblical parent, you have to be a Christ follower yourself, first and foremost. You can try all this stuff. You can follow these little bullet points. It's not really going to do any good unless you know Jesus yourself, unless Jesus is living in your life. And so let me just ask you, are you a Christian? Do you have the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart? I didn't ask if you believe in God, and I didn't ask if you go to church. You can go to church your whole life and not be a Christian. You can be born, baptized, catechized, confirmed, married, buried in a church, and never be a Christian. Going to church and doing sacramental rituals does not make you a Christian. A Christian is a person who's personally put their faith in the Lord Jesus to forgive them. A Christian is a person who's come to recognize that they're a sinner, that I cannot save myself, that there's no way to bridge the eternal gap between me and God by my good works or any church ritual or any penance or anything. The only way to get to God is to climb the ladder that God has provided, which is the cross. And it's to, it's to look to Jesus who died on the cross and say, Jesus, save me from my sins. And by putting my full trust and my trust only in Christ, I've been saved. And it, you can become a Christian if you do that. That's how you become a Christian. And of course, do Christians go to church and do they do rituals and sacraments. Of course they do, and it's wonderful, but that's not how you become a Christian. A Christian is a Christian by faith alone, in Christ alone, through grace alone, to the glory of God alone. Is there anyone here who'd like to become a Christian? Would you like to trust Christ and ask him into your heart? Let's pray, huh? If you would like to trust Christ as your Savior, and would like to have your sins forgiven and become a Christian, in a biblical sense, not a cultural sense, I'd invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. It goes like this. Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner and I cannot save myself. But I believe, Jesus, that you were crucified to pay the penalty for my sins. Lord Jesus, forgive me and save me. I believe in you. Fill my heart up with the Holy Spirit so that I can be born again and be a follower of yours. 
And Lord God, I just want to also pray for everyone who's a parent here or a grandparent or even who's an aunt or an uncle. Lord, in whatever capacity you've brought kids into our lives, I pray that we might be living examples of Christianity, that we might take the initiative to whatever extent we can to teach children about Christ, that we might see ourselves as the missionaries to the children and not the children's ministry's job. God, I pray for fathers in particular to step up and lead their families spiritually. I pray, Lord, that I would step up and do that. God, I want to pray for single mothers here who have to be a mother and a father. God, I pray, give them special wisdom, strength, and tenacity in the task of raising their children. Lord, I pray for grandparents here that they would continue to pass on the legacy of faith to their children, children's children. That, Lord, they might continue to support and buttress what their, their children are doing. And, Lord, I pray for all of us that we might have a special eye and a special heart open toward children. That we might pray for their conversion so that the next generation might not be like our generation. We pray this all in the name of Christ.